The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Good morning, Shades. Our scripture reading for today is from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. So I do invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 32 if you haven't done so already. This psalm uh, is actually kind of difficult to categorize. Uh, It's primarily, though, a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a celebration. And when we read it, it might strike us as an odd celebration at first because it celebrates something that we often do not confession. Psalm 32 is a celebration of confession. We're not good at confession. At least I'm not. That's my confession this morning. We don't like confession, at least not when it concerns ourselves, confessing our own sin, our own brokenness, our own junk. We're really good at confessing other people's sin, other other people's junk. We're not just good at that. We like it. Like as a culture, we thrive on it. We are a call out culture that loves to point the finger. And, and as soon as I say that, like I'm, I'm not saying that nothing ever needs to be called out. It definitely does. But everybody, know, everybody knows that the kid that's constantly pointing the finger at all the faults of his friends typically just trying to distract you from seeing their own. My mother taught me, as I'm sure most of yours did, that when you point a finger at somebody else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. This is very true of my own children to this day. As soon as they get in trouble, their number one strategy is to distract from what they've done by pointing the finger at the closest sibling. We don't really grow out of this, do we? Anybody that's married knows we don't grow out of this. As soon as your spouse points out a sin or fault. What is defense number one? To point out theirs. Distract from my own sin. Don't want to confess that. I'd rather confess yours. We do this as a culture. We are an angry, call-out culture. And that includes us as Christians. Last week, If you were here last week, I told you that I've been thinking a lot about why we as Christians sound a lot like the world, specifically in this area. Why do we sound a lot like the rest of the culture when it comes to 
calling others out, constantly confessing and pointing the finger at others? Why, why do we constantly sound just as angry, just as filled with hate, just as bitter? And I wonder, I wonder if part of the answer is that we as a church don't foster a good culture of confession. I, I wonder, what, what if we what if we angrily call out, confess the sins of others, or quick to do that? What if, what if that is an expression of our own weariness from concealing our own sin? Trying to distract anyone and everyone, including ourselves, from having to see that. What if we regularly judge others because we aren't regularly humbling ourselves? What if concealment of our own sin fills us with judgment because we know nothing of how confession of our sin will fill us with joy. Shades. Shades, this morning, through Psalm 32, David, who wrote this psalm, David is inviting us into the joy of confession into a celebration of confession. Let's see his celebration and be transformed by joining it. That's the plan. See it with me. David shows us the celebration of confession through four things. Number one, see the celebration of confession over concealment. That's how this psalm starts, with David saying, confession, concealment, confession's better. It's greater. It leads to celebration. See the celebration of confession over concealment. Psalm 32 and verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed. Ashrei. You may be familiar with that term. We talked about it back in Psalm 1. It's the very first term that appears in the entire Psalter. Blessed, Ashrei, the best I can do to define it for you is it means fullness of joy. Psalm 32 begins brimming with celebration. It's celebrating the person who experiences, the person who's blessed, the person who experiences fullness of joy. And who is that? Is it the perfect person? Maybe the last phrase of this verse makes you feel that way, the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. That who's blessed with fullness of joy, the perfect person, the the one who has it all together, the one whose life is sparkling clean? No, quite the opposite if we pay attention to what the fullness of this verse says. Psalm 32.1 says the person who experiences fullness of joy is a transgressor, not perfect. They don't have it all together. They're a sinner. They're broken. And far from being clean, they're covered in iniquity. It takes David three different words to describe the brokenness of this blessed person. Transgression, sin, iniquity. Transgression, pesha. It, it, it means, it, it, this word describes willful, purposeful rebellion. And maybe you're like, okay, that's not me. That's why David follows it up with sin. Chata'ah. You got to get the phlegm going. <laughs> The most common word for sin in Scripture means missing the mark or failing to live up to a 
certain standard. In other words, all of us are included by these two words, which means we all experience the third word, iniquity, our own. It emphasizes being guilty. This is the blessed person here. They're guilty of falling short and openly rebelling. So how exactly are they blessed? They're blessed because their transgression is forgiven. Their sin is covered. Their iniquity is not counted. It takes David three different words to describe the blessedness of this broken person. Forgiven. Covered. Not counted. Forgiven. Nasa. It literally means to lift up and carry away. To take up on one shoulder. Take it away. Covered. Kasa literally means to conceal, to cover, quite literally, to, to hide something so that it's no longer seen and not counted. Chashav, again with the phlegm. Chashav means to impute, to reckon, to credit. It's an accounting word. It has to do with record keeping. In other words... The broken person is blessed, filled with fullness of joy because all their transgression, all their sin, all their iniquity has been carried away, covered, no longer counted. How did that happen? Through confession. What David says, the very last line of verse 2, blessed, full of joy is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit or no duplicity, no denial concerning their condition. They haven't tried to deny or hide the fact that they're a transgressor, a sinner, and covered in iniquity. They're honest about that. They've not done what 1 John 1 and verse 8 describes, which says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're deceitful. We're lying to ourselves and to everyone else. But these people are blessed because they haven't done that. No, they have done what the very next verse in 1 John describes. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all. All, all unrighteousness. They do this and so they're blessed. They're filled with joy. Because they don't try to conceal their sin. They confess it. They don't try to cover their sin. They know they can't. So they take it to the one who can. The one who can carry their sin. Cover it. And no longer count it against them. They take it to the Lord through Confession. This is a celebration of confession over concealment. David says confession's better. It's better. Do you see it? Do you see it, Shades? Or already is rising, is, is something rising up in you that you know is concealed that you're like, uh-uh. Not better if that's confessed. Way better to conceal it and keep it down. David says confession is better, and if we don't believe him yet, he's going to bring it into even sharper relief through the next thing he shows us. Number two, see the contrast 
between concealment and confession. See the contrast between concealment and confession. Verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Selah is a liturgical or musical term. Honestly, we have no idea what it means, and it's not that important. What we do know right here is, what is important right here is we know that David is describing a time in his life when he was guilty of concealing his sin. A time when he says he kept silent. A time when there was deceit and duplicitousness in his spirit. He tried to deny and to cover up his his sin. Could David be describing his most infamous sin when he stole and raped Bathsheba, tried to cover it up by having her husband murdered, keeping it quiet, keeping silent for the better part of a year, perhaps? I mean, the truth of the matter is we don't know the exact situation that David is describing right here, but we do know what the silence did to him. David says, my bones wasted away. Which most likely describes literal physical effects. In the the ancient Near East, the bones, this was like the center of of your strength. To say that your bones are wasting away is a way of describing that you're feeling physically weak. That's confirmed by the end of verse 4. Look at it. David says, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. We live in Alabama. We know what David is talking about right here. You know that feeling? Middle of summer, you spend all day outside and it doesn't matter how much water you drink, how much shade you sit in, or how much you crank down the AC. Your strength is sapped. Sucked dry. David says his silence has been like the sun. Concealing his sin has has sucked the life right out of him. With real physical effects. And not just physical, emotional effects. Spiritual effects. David feels physically, emotionally, spiritually drained, empty. We know that because the the phrase right there, my strength was dried up. If you literally translate that, it's my moisture was dried up. Like What David is describing, this is a way of speaking about more than just physical strength. It's a way of speaking about the very vitality of one's life. David feels bone dry, physically, spiritually, emotionally, which is why in verse 3, he doesn't just say his bones are wasting away. He says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. It is first and foremost David's spiritual condition that brings about his physical condition. It's the concealment of his sin that's that's crippling him. Have you ever felt this? Like, you ever felt the the crippling effects of, of concealing sin? Shades. I counsel Christian after Christian who is crippled through the concealment of sin. I'll give you one very common prevalent example. It's pornography. It's ubiquitous in our society. And it is crippling Christians through concealed addiction. 
Sin thrives in the dark in concealment. That's where it lives and it thrives with all of its lies. Lies like your family will not love you if you confess. Your church will not embrace you if you confess. God will never be pleased with you, much less use you in any way if you confess. Concealed sin cripples people. Is it crippling you? Whatever it is. Just one example. There are many. Whatever it is, is silent sin sapping your life away, causing you to, to groan all day about anything and anyone. You want to know where a lot of that anger, groaning comes from? Your soul goes weary with holding in that which was never meant to be there in the first place. And the only way to rid your soul of that heaviness is not through groaning and complaining and concealing. It's through confession that brings healing. We don't want to deal with our own sins, so we end up groaning about everybody else's. We don't want anyone to notice our own sin, so we have to keep pointing out everyone else's and ironically, concealing our sin for fear of judgment fills us with judgment towards everybody else. That's what happened to David. When he concealed his sin, you remember 2 Samuel chapter 12? Go and read it. When the prophet Nathan comes to confront David, and Nathan gives him a parable that's painting a picture of David. David just doesn't know it. How does David feel towards the man in the parable? He judges him like that. Concealment for fear of being judged ironically fills us with judgment towards everybody else. And it saps our life away. Shades, is silent sin sapping your life, making you groan, crippling you? I have gospel. I've got gospel good news for you and for for me the gospel good news is even when we are silent about our sin god is not silent about our salvation indeed it is precisely through our strength being sapped away that his salvation is at work It's precisely through our groaning that He is working His grace. Look at verse 3 again. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for... Why are my bones wasting away? What's ultimately going on there? Why am I groaning all day? What's ultimately causing all of that? Yes, it's a consequence of my sin, but there's something more ultimate underneath that. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. In other words, the physical, spiritual, emotional distress that David is feeling is not merely a consequence of his sin. It is simultaneously a work of God's grace. This is God's grace on his life. It is God's heavy hand of grace. The grace of discipline to wake David up from the concealment that was killing him. To wake him up to confession that would enliven him. Do you see this? Yes, these things were consequences of David's sin, but God is sovereign even over those consequences and He is sovereignly using them to awaken David. 
to convict his heart. This is his heavy hand of grace. God was sapping David's strength. God was making David groan with guilt. Not all guilt is bad. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says that there is godly guilt. It's guilt that leads to repentance. Godly guilt through the conviction of the Holy Spirit shades has saved my life many times. God was making David groan with guilt. God was making David feel convicted about his concealment so that he would confess this is God's loving grace. Shades, here's the point. If silent sin feels like it's crushing you right now, it's what you feel. If silent sin feels like it's crushing you, hear this gospel good news. That heaviness is the heavy hand of God's grace. Not crushing you, but convicting you. Not aimed at killing you, but leading you to life through confession. You may be silent about your sin, but God is not silent about your salvation. Do you hear Him in the heaviness you feel? It's the voice of God. The hand of God. That is His loving, heavy hand of grace. David felt it. And look where it led. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. The heavy hand of God's grace leads David to confession. And not half-hearted confession. He uses three words to describe sin, three words to describe forgiveness, and he uses three different ways of talking about his confession. I acknowledged. I did not cover. I will confess. This is complete confession. He reuses every word about sin that he used all the way back up in verse 1. He repeats them all. So he's saying, I, I confessed it all. My sin, my transgression, my iniquity. In other words, I, I'm bringing everything to you, God. Acknowledging it all, not covering any of it, confessing it all. David literally says, no, I'm not going to cover up my sin anymore. Because he can't. Someone else is going to have to do that. And that someone else is God. The Hebrew at the end of verse 5 emphasizes that truth. It emphasizes that God alone is the one who can do this. It literally, If you literally translate the Hebrew at the end of verse 5, it says this, and you yourself, not just you, you. It's almost like the psalmist is shocked. You, God, you yourself forgave the iniquity of my sin. Or in other words, the guilt of my sin. In other words, you took care of my sin and all the guilt, all the shame, all that came with it, all the concealment that was killing me, you forgave it all. God did everything. Everything that David celebrated, back up in verse 1, God did all of that. David confessed his sin, his iniquity, his transgression, and God forgave it all, carried it all away, covered it all, no longer counted it against David. No, David is now counted as righteous. Just like Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15. Do you remember that really famous passage? Genesis 15 and verse 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord and God counted it, chashav, same word as Psalm 32, God counted it to him as righteousness. That's what God did for Abraham. That's what God is doing right here for David. And this is what God does for you. Through confession 
and forgiveness. He doesn't count your sin against you. He counts you as righteous. How? How does he do that? David says he does it himself. You, yourself, forgave. You, yourself, take up our sin. Carry it away. Cover it so that it's no longer counted against us, but we are counted as righteous. And in Romans chapter 4, go home and read Romans chapter 4 this afternoon. In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul brings together Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham was counted as righteous, and Psalm 32, where our sins are no longer counted against us. Apostle Paul in Romans 4 brings those two texts together to show us exactly how God himself has done this. He's done it in Jesus Christ. God himself took on flesh, lived a perfect life, and having no sin of his own, he took up ours, carried it away to Calvary, Nasa, and he covered it on the cross with his blood, Kasa, so that it is no longer counted against you. Chashav, it was counted against him. And his righteous life counts now as yours. God, the Lord, you yourself has done this. He said so. It is finished. Psalm 32 and verse 5, right here, David is celebrating that he has received all of this through confession. Is it any wonder that he calls himself blessed, ashray, full of joy? Shades, shades, do you see the contrast? Do you see the contrast between concealment and confession? Concealment that, that fills you with, with judgment and leads to death. And confession that fills you with joy and leads to life. David doesn't just want you to see that contrast. He wants you to experience it. So, number three. See the call. See the call to confession, not concealment. See the call. David's going to turn towards us and call us to confession and away from concealment. Verses 6 and 7. Therefore, therefore, in line of everything I showed you, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. David says, therefore, in light of the contrast we've seen between concealment and confession, therefore, there is a call to action. And Christian, this call is for you. It may be really easy up to this point for you to think, ah, this is a message for people who have not yet received the forgiveness of the Lord through Jesus Christ. It is a call for them to confess. No, nah, David, make sure we know, Christian, this is a call for you. David explicitly says, therefore let everyone who is godly. That Hebrew term is related to God, to the word for God's covenant love. Hesed, in other words, the godly are those who are in a covenant relationship with God. David's saying, therefore, if you're in a covenant relationship with God, Christian, he's calling us to confession. This psalm right here, this is not just a call to experience the initial joy of confession. It is that. We call that conversion. It's 
someone who's never confessed their sin to the Lord. They don't know the Lord. They're, they're Eyes are opened by the power of the Holy Spirit. They confess their sin. They receive Jesus. They convert. This is a call to that, but this is not just a call to experience the initial joy of confession. It is a call to experience the continual joy of confession. Here's the deal. Sometimes, sometimes Christians think that confession is not for them. Like, like that's something that we do once. When we become a believer in Jesus, we, we, conf- we confess our sins, and in Jesus, they're all forgiven, past, present, and future. And to that, I say yes and amen. So why would I ever confess again? You would confess again because you don't just have union with Christ. You also have communion with Christ. Maybe I can point out the difference with my kids. My children and I, we are united. We have union. We are united as a family. And when my children sin, our union is unaffected. They're still my kids. I'm still their father. But our communion, it is most definitely affected. And through discipline... I seek to restore it, to bring them back into communion, into the active, dynamic enjoyment of our union. Likewise, through faith in Jesus, you're a part of God's family. You have an unbreakable union with the triune God. It's true. Christ paid for all of your sin past, present, and future. Your sin does not affect your unbreakable union with Christ, but it absolutely affects our communion with Him. It's totally possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. It is totally possible, and throughout the New Testament, Jesus calls His church to repent, His church to help one another repent, to confess our sins one another, to bring back brothers and sisters from their wandering. We've seen this right here with David. David had an authentic relationship with God. But his communion through sin and concealing it was broken. And through discipline, God is restoring him, bringing him back into communion, into the active, dynamic enjoyment of their union. Shades, Christ paid for your sins once for all, past, present, and future. And, and... You experience that reality in the past, in the present, and also in the future. For as you walk with Jesus day by day, you get to experience him applying the forgiveness that he purchased. Day by day. That's what 1 John 1, 9 that we read a little while ago is all about. It is about our ongoing walking daily fellowship with Christ. And it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus cleansing and forgiving you is not something you just look back upon with fondness. It is something you experience today by his faithfulness. So David calls us to experience it today. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. David doesn't mean there are times when God can be found and times when he hides. David means there are times when our hearts are soft and times when our hearts are hard. 
And the time when you may find God is when your heart is softened and you are hearing his convicting call. Right now, Dave is saying, if you hear his call, this is a time when your heart is soft. He's speaking to you. He may be found. Do not harden your heart. It's explicitly the way a parallel text puts it in Psalm 95, 7 and 8. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He says, no, don't harden your hearts. Offer prayer. Come to Christ through confession. Because David knows what happens when God's people silently conceal their sin. He's felt the heavy hand of God's gracious discipline before, and he's trying to help us avoid the difficult path of denial and discipline. That's what he goes on to say. He's trying to help us avoid the path of denying our sin and being disciplined, experiencing the discipline of the Lord. He says, let everyone who's godly offer prayer to you at a time when he may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, that is a picture of God's discipline. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. In other words, you come to confession now, you don't have to take the path of God's discipline. God becomes a hiding place for you, verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance david says don't take the path of discipline take the path of deliverance don't surround yourself with the sound of the swirling waters of discipline no find yourself surrounded by the shouts or the songs of deliverance that image right there being surrounded by the shouts or the word could be translated songs being surrounded by the shouts and songs of deliverance. It's, it's an image of, of one who's been rescued from the enemy. And they find themselves surrounded by the shouts and the songs of the victorious one who has conquered. Do you see David's call right here? He's calling everyone who is godly, everyone who is in a true covenant relationship with the Lord to not run from Him, but to run to Him. This is what true believers do. When God wakes us up to the fact that we've been concealing sin, this is what true believers do. It's evidence that we are true believers in Jesus, that we are a part of the godly. We come to Him through confession. This is why, this is why we do a corporate confession of sin every week. Because every week we need to hear and heed this call so that we won't be a people who pretend like we're perfect and conceal our sin. No, we want to be a people in real communion with Jesus, not running from Him in rebellion, but running to Him. Shades, do you hear His call this morning? Heed it. Come to Him through confession you will not find yourself surrounded by judgment you will find yourself surrounded by the very love of jesus you will be surrounded by the songs of all who have come to him in confession songs of deliverance songs that surround you with the sound of his love david is david is calling us to confession and just in case we don't see that clearly he also calls us very directly away from concealment. Look at the next verse. Verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Pause. I'm going to do a little side note, a little sidebar right here for just a moment. 
David's now counseling us. He's turning towards us. He's looking at our situation from his own experience. He says, let me counsel you with my eye upon you. Notice, it's only after David has quit concealing his own sin that he can rightly counsel others about theirs. Psalm 51 is David's great prayer of confession. And in it he says this. He says, restore to me the joy, the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. That's what he's doing now in Psalm 32 right here. God has restored to him the joy of his salvation. He hasn't concealed his sin. He's confessed it and now he's teaching us God's way, the way of confession. And as David teaches us the way of confession, look look at what this looks like. It doesn't look like him calling us out in anger. It looks like him calling us to joy in Jesus. The point is this, Shaves. Only after we quit concealing our own sin can we call others rightly to confession. And such a call does not look like angry condemnation. It looks like an invitation to joy in Jesus. You want to call out our culture? Start from a position of humility and confession. And when you call them out, call them out with joy and to joy in Jesus. That looks different than the way the rest of of our culture calls others to confession. That speech seasoned with salt. Sidebar done. All right. To show us that he's clearly calling us to confession, David explicitly calls us away from concealment. Verse 9. Be not like a horse or a mule. Huh, be very kind there, David. Be not like a horse or have something I really wish I could say. Like, this is what David's saying, but I might offend some people and get some emails. Be not like a horse. You can read into that what you want. Um, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. David says, don't be stubborn. Like a horse. Like a, a mule. Don't conceal your sin. Try to cover it up. Act like you're righteous all on your own. That's being stubborn. That's what the Pharisees did. All throughout Jesus' interaction with them, is this not what they did? Refused to confess any sin. Covered it all up with just an outward layer of a, a righteous veneer. Do you remember what Jesus said to them? Mark chapter 2 and verse 17. He said to the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, if you think you have no need of confession, then you have no need for a Christ. You have no need for a Savior, for there's nothing that you need saving from. If you're a well person, you don't need a doctor. David says don't lie to yourself like that. Be honest. Don't try to cover up the sickness that is called sin. David says don't try to cover it up because I've got good news for you. There is a doctor for this sickness. There is a cure. His name is Christ. 
He doesn't just have the cure. He is the cure. And we see that clearly in David's conclusion. Number four, see the conclusion of concealment and confession. See the conclusion of concealment and confession. Psalm 32 and verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds Same word that he used just a little while ago to talk about shouts of deliverance surrounding us. It's the sound of God's steadfast love. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. The conclusion of concealment, David says, sorrow. Be filled with judgment, anger, bitterness that leads to death. The irony here is that so many people think that sorrow is the conclusion of confession. This is why we don't like it. People think that confession is all about sorrow. This is why we avoid it. Isn't confession just about beating myself up for my sin? Isn't it sad and depressing? Like I'm just self-flagellating, whipping myself. I loathe myself. Shades, nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, sure, confession does involve genuine sorrow for sin, but that is not confession's conclusion. That sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning because confession is met by the love of Christ. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, verse 10, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts, who comes to, confesses, I trust you, here it is, me, all my junk, I confess it. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. The conclusion of concealment is sorrow, but the conclusion of confession is being surrounded by love. Filled with joy, not judgment. Filled with love, not anger. Love that echoes off everything like shouts of deliverance, like songs of salvation. And these songs, when you come to the Lord in confession and His love surrounds you, songs of deliverance surround you, these songs, they seep down into your bones. The bones that concealment made weak, confession makes them strong because they're no longer infected with sin. Now they are saturated with songs of salvation. And these songs, they they don't just get down in you, they've got to get out of you. And so our groaning that David described is replaced with us singing and celebrating God's grace. The conclusion of confession is celebration. Look at Psalm 32 and verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Do this because you have been blessed with the fullness of joy through confession. Your sin has been lifted, carried away, covered by the blood, not counted against you. Christ has done this for you and for his church. So now find yourself surrounded by his church, surrounded by all those who've been delivered alongside you, now singing with you songs of deliverance, Find yourself surrounded by the sound of the celebration of the love of God and be transformed by joining in that celebration. Sing along with the song of the saints. This is the conclusion of confession. It's celebration. Shades, won't you join it? Be filled with joy.